Support for today's show comes from OneSkin, who I've got to say converted me to being a subscribed user. Now, if you're ready for warmer, sunnier days, that's great, but is your skin ready? See, your skin goes through a big transition between seasons, not just on the surface, but at the cellular level. That's why it's important to nurture it from the inside out with products that do more than just protect it against the sun's UV rays. Treating the symptoms rather than the root causes of aging has long been the norm. Most skin care available on the market is designed to provide a temporary reduction in the visible signs of aging, addressing just the surface symptoms of an underlying decline in skin health. OneSkin's products are powered by their scientifically proven peptide called OS1. This peptide reduces the accumulation of damaged aging cells, the cells that make your skin less resilient and more prone to lines and wrinkles. Instead of masking these issues, OneSkin addresses them at the cellular level, boosting your skin's natural barrier to lock in moisture and help protect against the elements. They have a full line of face and body products, including OSO1 Shield, an SPF that prevents UV-induced aging and repairs cellular aging all at once. I made the switch. It's official. I signed up for recurring deliveries of OneSkin. I'm going to get it every three months. Um, but I was really stupid about it. Don't be like me. I didn't use our code to start getting OneSkin delivered to my door. But I can say I'm very happy with my skin, very happy with how easy the OneSkin routine is. And I have to say that if you're interested in OneSkin, if you're looking to make a switch, you should use our codes because it is definitely going to make a difference. And I think you're really going to love this product. For a limited time, our listeners will get an extra 15% off OneSkin products using the code MANNERS. That's M-A-N-N-E-R-S when you check out at oneskin.co. Again, that is 15% off when you go to oneskin, O-N-E-S-K-I-N dot C-O and use the code MANNERS, M-A-N-N-E-R-S at checkout. No matter the season, keep your skin looking and feeling healthy with OneSkin. I do. And now back to our show. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello. And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on updating the company phone list, thanking someone for taking you on a trip, bringing up the fact that you weren't invited to something, and tipping the owner of a business for a service. For Awesome Etiquette Sustaining members, our question of the week is about responding to invasive questions about your skin. All that, plus your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript on hosting an excellent Thanksgiving. All that's coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of our home offices in Vermont and is proud to be produced by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Dan Post-Senning. And I'm Lizzie Post. And I, a dedicated Swifty, am very happy this week because I've been listening oh. to Taylor Swift's new album for a week now. Just sayings. Did we all also notice how incredibly special it was that she made that announcement on the Amazon Prime Saints game? <laughs> like, just saying. Felt connected. Felt Lizzie connected. Post, you are hysterical, okay? <laughs> 
I'm thinking to myself. My favorite team, my favorite singer. Come on. (laughs) We've been away from the mic for, you know, a month and a half. And we come back and we've got to really, you know, cover a lot of big, important book events and Emily Post's work. But today's the day we could talk about anything that happened over the last month and a half. And I cut in with the Taylor Swift. (laughs) And I've got something to contribute. I've seen two videos. This is what I was so excited about is that, guys, Dan's like in on this one. He's been listening to the new album this week with the girls. <laughs> Anisha loves pop music. She yeah. is a, a big fan. She loves to sing along and she has a real ear for production. So oh. songs that are well produced just they speak to her. She 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 <laughs> She feels it. She has none of the natural defenses that. I, a child of the <laughs> 90s, have to anything that's too good. And it's been so much fun to watch her love music. And, and yeah, the new Taylor Swift, there, there are elements of it. Not so much the lyrics, but the, the right. music itself and the sound of Taylor's voice really speak to her. And she was noticing we're also watching the Lorax movie right now. Mm-hmm. And we read the book and watch the movie, watch the movie, read the book. It's, it's a lot of fun. Taylor Swift voices the young girl in the Lorax movie mm-hmm. and Nishu mm-hmm. picked that up also. So yeah, we're, 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 we're in your world. Cause developing we're in your world. a young Swifty in the making. <laughs> More of them. And I found myself standing <laughs> at soccer hearing the title Songs. track. I don't know the words yet, but I was hearing the melody. <laughs> Just so you all know, Dan's being a little bit coy. He dissected some of the lyrics with me this time, guys. I think we've got him. I think we've got him. I think he might, be close to calling himself a Swifty. Just saying. <laughs> Tiptoeing um, up to the line. Tiptoeing. Definitely a lot of fun watching the music videos and the music music rollout. It certainly makes all the, the packaging of books up, which can be slightly tedious, but also really fun to sign notes and to, to see who's who's, you know, been coming in and things like that. But it's it's been fun having my my TS on in the background there. <laughs> With a I new can album. picture it. I can picture it. The boxes <laughs> open, the different stacks of books, the little notes, sign this to this, sign that to that. <laughs> no, totally, totally. It's it, it has felt like a little production line over at my house lately. But, you know, the the launch continues to be a lot of fun. The launch of our book, <laughs> I mean, the launch of Midnight's is also really fun. But the launch does continue to be fun. It's really fun seeing your names come across our desk as we go to the bookstore and, and sign copies. So we're really grateful for that. And we hope it continues straight through the holiday season. One of our Family Friends wins the award for most copies ordered. He ordered six copies of the book. And I think my my favorite line, shall I read it from the text message, Dan? Please do. Please do. <laughs> so the text, I got a, a, an excited photograph of himself with the book today. And, you know, I write this nice text that's all about, you know, thank you so much. And this is a very sarcastic, funny person. And the reply back was, I just know too many rude people and I'm determined to do something about it. (laughs) And I just cracked up. I know he's joking, but it was just so much fun to read. I love the fact that he's he's right there thinking this book makes a great gift, and he's definitely making a gift out of it this holiday season. And so we're hoping that you all will do similar things. I have loved, Dan, seeing the photographs of and some of the videos and reels of books that have landed to their owners now, and it's really cool seeing that. Please, if you've gotten a book or if you've received a 
book as a gift, please, please, please share it on social media. We are so excited to see it in your life. And it's been really, really fun. So please continue to share those with us. We love seeing them. We do. Can I confess a little something, Lizzie Boast? Of course you can. So I was feeling bad because I had the first moment where I went to the book to use it the other night and I didn't take a picture of it and I really wish I had. (laughs) Totally. I know that feeling. I know that feeling. I was making Anisha set the table with me and Mm -hmm. she was insisting on a very creative place setting. (laughs) Totally. And I I found myself in in a debate with my five-year-old about which side of the plate the spoon should go on. And she was pretty (laughs) committed to her point of view. And I I found myself (laughs) saying... Listen, this is one thing I I know. And you know how sometimes we talk about things and you have your opinion and I have my opinion. And this is one of those where – and here I'm explaining to a five-year-old that you can have your own opinion. You can do it any way that you want. And she's left-handed. So, of course, that might work well for you. But I actually wrote the book about this one. Here, can I show you? And I went and got the book. And there's the diagrams right there. And she just looks at it and looks up at me like, what is this supposed to tell me, Dad? I want the spoon to go over here. <laughs> Did you read her the line where it said a lefty could certainly use a spoon in their left hand, but typically gets set on the right anyway? We did not get there. She was not impressed. I, I went to the <laughs> book and she was still not impressed. She was like, yeah, yeah, um, this means nothing to me, Dad. I want the spoon on the left. <laughs> oh, you wrote it. Okay. So you say. <laughs> what does mama say? <laughs> right? It's like You know, this is one of those conversations she wasn't present for, but I think she might have been in the next room just listening to us. Like because cracking up. <laughs> when we were all sitting around the table eating dinner, her um, gratitude at the start of the meal was that Dada had been working hard to support her and get everybody together for dinner. So I think she had listened to the whole setup, but no, she did not chime in. That is a great story because I I anticipate more of those coming in the future, especially as your kids eventually discover and kind of like grok what you do. But, But that is a delicious little moment in your own home. No, but it is this way. It is. (laughs) But I wrote the book on this, kid. I did. I swear. (laughs) I want my spoon on the left. Oh, that is delightful. Well, Lizzie, I appreciate your good humor about all of it. And your generally good humor about my bad practices taking pictures to share on social media. So I'm (laughs) appreciating your reminder to our audience. And I will add my voice to it. And I will say I will try to remember and I will try to share. But I'm so curious how this book is landing in people's lives as well. And would just love to have that be part of our discussion moving forward. Absolutely. So get out your cameras, snap those photos and tag us in them when you post. We would love to see you and your Emily Post etiquette book. And with all that said, Dan, do you think maybe it is time for us to get to some of our wonderful listener questions? I think we should do that, Lizzie Boast. (laughs) Let's do it. Let's do it. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions. You can email them to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Leave a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or you can reach us on social media. On Twitter, we're at emilypostinst. That's I-N-S-T. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we are the Emily Post Institute. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette with your social media posts so that we know you want your question on the show. 
June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story taking you back to the glamour of the 1920s with a diverse cast of characters. Each new scene takes you further through a thrilling murder mystery story that sets the main protagonist, June Parker, on a quest to solve the murder of her sister and uncover her family's many secrets. Find hidden clues and uncover a murder mystery. You'll solve mind-teasing mysteries of the Roaring Twenties. So fun for Emily fans. Engage your sense of observation to find hidden clues. And we know you all are very observant. Search for hidden objects from the parlors of New York to the sidewalks of Paris. Each chapter uncovers a collection of dazzling hidden object spectacles for you to solve. That sounds Ooh, la, like so la. much fun. <laughs> You can customize your very own luxurious estate island, collect so scraps cool. of information to fill your photo album, and learn more about each character. Chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. You'll even get the chance to play in a detective league to put your skills to the test. For us, it's the mystery of the story that has us invested. And for me personally, it's the building of that luxurious estate island. I mean, come on, how fun is that? We are not going to give away any spoilers. You are going to have to try June's Journey for yourself. When you do, tell us all about your custom estate. Any Emily Post 1920s inspiration involved when you build yours? We sure hope so. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. It's a blast. And now back to our show. Our first question is a work question, and it's about a phone frenzy. Ooh. Hello, AE team. I have a question about call forwarding. I was hired during the pandemic, and my boss gave me a cubicle that was assigned to someone else who still works for our company, but is now 100% telework. Unfortunately, the phone number she has listed in the global address book is still the one for what is now my desk. I have the desk phone forwarded to my cell phone on days that I am not in the office, and over the past two weeks have been getting a lot of phone calls from people looking for her. What makes matters worse is that her first names are very similar, mm -hmm. and her full first name could potentially be a nickname of my name. So even when I answer the phone with my name, people just assume it's her full name, and just start talking about things I have no involvement in. <laughs> she doesn't have a cell phone number listed in Global, and I'm guessing she doesn't have one included in her email signature either. Email is the only way to get a hold of her. Do you have a sample script or email script for asking the former occupant of my cubicle to change her contact info in the Global listing? Is it reasonable to ask for alternate contact info in case I keep getting calls that are meant for her? I know people don't like giving out their personal cell phone numbers and have relied on call forwarding for this reason, but it's also been relayed to those who are 100% telework that they are giving up their permanent desk and their desk phone in return. For reference, desk phone numbers are assigned to desks, not people. You need to be assigned to a desk with a phone in order to have calls forwarded. We don't have any sort of VOIP, that's voice over internet protocol, or call forwarding service. Best. Michaela. Oh, Michaela, this is a fabulous question. And Dan, I am very curious for, for your thoughts on it. Initially, 
the first things that I'm thinking are overall yes, yes, and yes. It is okay for you to reach out to this person and try to coordinate with them to to get their contact info switched or to suggest that it would be a good idea if they could get their contact info switched. I also feel like it's appropriate for you to put in your outgoing message to folks who are calling in. If you are looking for so-and-so, please reach them at, and then with the the sort of forwarding number, um, I think that would be appropriate to do. But also, of course, asking this person for the correct contact info so that should you just pick up the phone when someone calls, you, you are able to communicate that. And then I also think it's appropriate when you do give folks those forwarding numbers that it's okay for you to say, if you don't mind updating the number, that way you have her direct contact. I would so appreciate it. I think those are the things that you could do. But Dan, I'm curious, have I misstepped anywhere? Do you I, like I'm liking all the things that that Michaela has suggested that that she feels inclined to do? All of the above, both and more. Oh, what have you got that's more? <laughs> the way I was thinking about it. There are so many places where I think intervention here is a good idea. And I think there are lots of ways that you can do it. I, I would definitely talk to a manager or supervisor or somebody uh, yes. just about whether or not there are any standard protocols for this. It sounds okay. like it's not an unusual situation. It's sort of built into the way these desks are transferred and the way the new telework system is is happening. That it might be that the updating of that global listing is something that isn't something you or your previous desk occupant have any control over. And it's just something that needs to happen through channels. And that might be a supervisor or manager who can initiate that or knows who to make the call to, to get that listing changed. I think that's one thing that I would be looking to get done. Mm -hmm. You can always ask them a question. Mm -hmm. I'm experiencing this. Is there something that you've been doing when people turn over a desk and a phone? Is mm -hmm. there a standard protocol for it? I'm really curious. This is so very post-pandemic etiquette <laughs> about particularly what the expectations are around the use of a personal phone mm -hmm. to be accountable for work. Mm -hmm. So if you give up your desk and you give up that phone that's associated with it, is there an expectation that you use your personal phone to stay reachable by phone? Mm -hmm. And if that's the case, whether or not someone has a particular feeling about whether or not they want to use their personal phone for work or offer that number to people they work with, it might not be up to them. It might be a condition of the job that they make that phone number available to people. And I, I would want some specificity about that because that's a, a, a big ask to make of employees. And I wouldn't want to make that as the new employee having just landed in a desk. I'd want some clarity about the way that's being managed or handled. Mm -hmm. I, I think the etiquette for me here is about maintaining the consistency of your polite professionalism as you redirect people. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking to myself that as frustrating as it could be to have it happening all the time, that yeah. for every person you're interacting with, it's that, that double-edged sword that for them, it's the first time, or it's not as frequent, even if it's happened before. And staying consistent about just giving those people the information they need to get through to the person they're trying to get through to doing that consistently without sounding accusatory or um, mm -hmm. put off by mm -hmm. the request is 
is the challenge that I think you give yourself. And my note for my show scripts about this is that this is likely to change over time that Mm -hmm. little by little, (laughs) I think you'll hear less and less calls for your previous desk occupant and hopefully more and more calls for you as you get more firmly established, both in the job, the work you're doing and in that particular location. I feel like I also want to put out there to have that same kind of positive or helpful attitude if it does end up being you that is supposed to contact this other person to help facilitate moving them into the global registry correctly or things like that, if it's not something that management takes care of automatically or something like that, that keeping that same kind of positive, just trying to be helpful, get us to a more efficient place that sort of a thing is a good way to keep it as opposed to, wow, this is really annoying, this situation you've put me in because you haven't dealt with your contacts well enough, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, you want to keep that kind of attitude as far away from it as you can. And another thing, Dan, that makes me so glad you brought up the point about being really positive with the folks who are calling in and don't know that this is a problem you deal with regularly, you know, and you don't want to put your frustration Ten times onto this them. morning already. Yeah, exactly. Is that we always say that anything that we're doing, you know, we have that 24-7 professional that we want to think about. And while we're often using that piece of advice to remind us that any place, you know, the grocery store, the, the movie ticket line, places like that are places where we could be crossing paths with a client or a colleague or a superior at work or something like that. And and so being on our best behavior when we're out and about is always really great. But even though this isn't your client who's calling in and, you know, they're asking for somebody else, you're still representing your whole company and being as friendly and helpful as you can be just sets such a good impression, even if somebody has landed in the wrong place. And just it's so worth doubling down on that effort that Dan is describing. Lizzie, can I tell him about the post office? Yeah, go for it. Very briefly, because it's not an exciting story. The Emily Post Institute <laughs> was listed in the physical yellow pages <laughs> on the same page as the post office. And we get a lot of calls for the post office. I mean, a lot of calls for the post office. And I took great pride in handling those calls with as much grace and keeping a smile on my face as I possibly could. And it was always a bit of a challenge working at the Emily Post Institute because we got a consistent stream of wrong numbers and it tended to be people that were still using physical yellow pages. Mm -hmm. So there were people oftentimes that I think were relatively easy to get confused about where they were calling, what was going on and just being kind in that moment was an exercise that wasn't always easy, but I found it really worthwhile in the long run. And as you were talking about your approach, Lizzie, I just couldn't help but remember it. (laughs) We were mistakenly placed underneath, like it, it made it look like we were a part of the post office, which is why it was so incredibly confusing to people. Um, but eventually we just got like a main number for them and started giving that out as best exactly. we could. But you had no idea what branch they were actually trying to reach. And we can't give out like every U.S. postal branch in Vermont. Anyway, it was it was it was a thing for sure. <laughs> Michaela, we sympathize with your situation and really appreciate the question and wish you the best of luck moving forward in your new job. These words are important when you are using the telephone. They will help you to be kind and considerate of other people. 
Awesome Etiquette gets support from Modern Mammals. I am really enjoying our new sponsor, Modern Mammals Hair Product, and I'm going to give you the promo code right off the bat. Go to ModernMammals.com and use the code MANNERS, M-A-N-N-E-R-S, for 10% off. Modern Mammals makes hair products for men, although I'm telling you, Pooja loves them maybe more than I do. I tried their men's hair rinse called Magic Mud. It's a lightly cleansing, heavily moisturizing wash. Take note, listeners, it doesn't suds up like shampoo, so it doesn't dry your hair and scalp out really nice when you're wearing winter hats all the time. That means no more poofy, frizzy, limp hair. It also means your scalp better regulates its own natural oils, which is much healthier in the long run. Modern Mammals' goal is to try and keep your hair and head natural. This means they don't distort your pH balance and natural oils like a shampoo would. This stuff is really nice. It works. I really like having it in my shower as an option. I mix it in about every second or third go, and it is really, really nice in your hair. Imagine getting date night hair whenever you wanted. It's much lower effort, but your hair is going to consistently look much better. Modern Mammals doesn't just say that. They have hundreds of customer reviews saying it and me saying it too. Check them out today. Go to ModernMammals.com and use the code MANNERS for 10% off. Again, that's ModernMammals.com for 10% off with the promo code MANNERS. Don't forget to use our promo code MANNERS so they know that we sent you. And now, back to our show. Our next question is titled, Grateful Travel Guest. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I hope you're enjoying peak leaf peeping season now in your beautiful state. Thanks for making such a great show. I reference it very often amongst friends and colleagues. I have a question that I would love your insight on. My boyfriend and I live in New York, and his family lives nearby, so we are lucky enough to see them throughout the year. My family is across the country, so we don't get to see them often. My boyfriend's parents are generously offering to include me on a trip to South America they are taking this year, and to cover all my expenses. My family hasn't had a chance to return the favor to my boyfriend, and I'm not sure if or when that situation would arise. My question is this, what do I do to appropriately thank his parents for such a generous gesture? When I visit for meals or a weekend, I often bring a nice bottle of wine from a list of bottles I know the family loves. I feel I should contribute to at least my own airfare, but his parents' generosity won't allow me to chip in for any of the travel costs. Do I bring something on the trip with us to show my gratitude? Do I send something to their home before or after the trip? Do I book an excursion for the whole family to take on the trip on my own finances? Finding something material on the trip to gift them feels difficult, as they have very tasteful but particular preferences— for material items. Many thanks for any guidance you can provide on this question. Best Grateful Traveler. Grateful Traveler, thank you so much for the question. I have so much to say here. I'm going to try to organize my thoughts. <laughs> I'm just going to let you run. I'm going to sit back. <laughs> First, on the leaf peeping, Lizzie and I were away from the mic for the four weeks when we went through the absolute peak here in Vermont. So we didn't talk about it to the exhausting lengths that we usually talk about the leaves changing in Vermont because it's the best thing to talk about. And it was so it awesome. This year was incredible. The orange yellow quality to it it wasn't the reddest season but the mm -mm. the bright yellows and oranges were just at, at least up where i was were unbelievable there were places where i would drive and the canopy overhead was so 
vibrant that the light mm-hmm. coming through it changed. It just changed the whole space Gold. that you were operating in. It was unbelievable. And I cannot wait till next September when we're having in-person trainings again and we can <laughs> invite people and encourage people to come to Vermont and hopefully experience a little bit of that. Okay, next. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, like. I am so jealous. I have had the good fortune to travel a lot of places in my life, but a real adventure into South America is one that I have not had a chance to do yet. So I am really excited for you. What an incredible invitation to get from your boyfriend's parents. And Mm -hmm. in the spirit of wanting to acknowledge what an incredible invitation it is, what a great opportunity it is, I want to encourage you that there is just no way that you can thank too much for this, that you can thank – well. I should I should yeah. pause that a little bit because there is it is possible to thank too much, but I would strongly suggest that you thank before, during, and after, and mm-hmm. we can talk about good ways to do that so it doesn't become too much, it doesn't overshadow the generosity of what they're doing for you, but that it is appropriate and and reciprocal, and I think the fact that you're thinking about it this much is a pretty good indication that you're going to be able to hit that note. Yeah. My feelings are that regular thank yous just like like at the time of the offer and when you accept the offer are really common, you know, just verbal thank yous. And this isn't necessarily a thank you, but a way to show how how kind of appreciative you are by taking the trip seriously and asking thoughtful questions maybe about what to pack or about what everybody's going to do on the trip just so that you're a prepared traveler with everybody and that you're you're really kind of an invested traveler i think that's another really good way to say thank you is to participate really well on this trip mm-hmm. to be really present and if something doesn't make you feel comfortable maybe everybody wants to go scuba diving and that's something you really don't want to do that encourage everyone else to have a really great time and that you will thoroughly enjoy the beach or the lounge chair or the pool or something while they enjoy and you can't wait to see pictures or something. Being really encouraging of the things you might not want to participate in and reassuring everyone that you're you're fine bowing out of that particular thing um, if, if it's something you really can't bring yourself to do, you know. But I think that, that just participating really well makes a difference. Two places where I, I don't think you have to worry as much is that I don't think you have to worry about your family trying to reciprocate that that's not a necessity here. Just the same way with a lot of gift giving, it doesn't have to result in an exchange. This also doesn't have to result in an exchange. And uh, for many families, there might be reasons why it just never could. But I wouldn't feel worried about the fact that your family might not be able to offer something similar in return. When it comes to purchasing things, whether that's an excursion for the trip or a gift after the trip, I think that you want to stick within your budget and whatever it is that you end up doing, using your words along with it is so important. I had such a wonderful time. This was just such an incredible experience and I'm so fortunate that you extended it to me. Like what a wonderful, you know, uh, lifelong memories that this has created. Just those kinds of things I think also make a big difference whether you take them out for a dinner or you, you know, pay for the zip lining trip or whether, you know, you get them just a beautiful plant to plant in their garden back at home or something like that, you know, depending on what the what the gift is that you end up doing. And like Dan, I think you can't say thank you enough 
but you also don't have to do an excursion and a gift and take them out to dinner and uh, write five thank you notes. You know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's, um, I think pick one really strong thing. And if you have enough, I might choose one thing to offer on the trip and one thing to do after the trip as a thank you. But that is, is even starting to push into the extra and beyond kind of category, I would think. I was having a very similar thought, Lizzie Post. Okay, I was trying cool. to imagine something that you could do during the trip and then something that you would do as a follow-up after. And for something like a all-expenses-paid trip to South America, I don't think that's crossing over into too much territory. I think you're no, as in long as you can afford there. it. Yeah, yeah. As and, long as it fits within your budget. Yep. And I would definitely, like you said, offer those thanks in proportion and dosage to the events that happen along the way. For example, yeah. what like you said, when the offer's made, oh, thank you so much. That's a really incredible offer. I, I, I'm just blown away. Mm-hmm. When you accept, I, I can't wait to do this. I'm really excited about this. Thank you so much for making this offer and making this happen for all of us. And you, you, you should be in good shape and really trust the power of your words to communicate that sentiment. I like your idea, Lizzie, of the the experience, the zipline experience. I was going to the the very standard offer to take them out to a meal at some totally. point. And totally. Mm-hmm. If there's an opportunity in that good participating planning for you to make a suggestion to to do some guiding of the way that would happen, there might be an opportunity for it. There might not. It might be that your hosts really have things scheduled and organized in a way that that moment doesn't present itself in a natural way. I wouldn't try to force it if it didn't, but right. at some point along the way, it, it's likely. This is where I wanted to get specific and take a risk. There were a couple of ideas <laughs> I had about ways that you might land that thank you gift. And I was thinking about the it not being important to match them dollar for dollar. It might not be possible. And right. we talk on this show all the time about gifts aren't about reciprocity. It's not about yeah. I give you this and you give me of something of equal value in return. That gift right. giving doesn't always function like that. In fact, it's not meant to or it's not supposed to function like that necessarily. There is something though to matching a really generous gift with appropriately serious thanks. And I love, love, love Lizzie Post, the way you talk about participating well on the trip and taking Mm -hmm. that seriously as one way to show appreciation for the gift. Mm -hmm. Another is to be really thoughtful about the way you thank for it in terms of what the gift says, not how much it costs. Mm -hmm. So something that's related to an experience that you had on the trip is one way to go, a framed photograph or some sort of remembrance from the trip that you present to them afterwards. Sometimes if you can get a little something secretly when you're there, this is one of my favorites, and then you can give it afterwards. And it it shows that you've been planning and thinking about it for a long time. And it can be really cool. It can be a way to bring people back into that moment or that experience in a way. Maybe it's a favorite hot sauce that was on the table <laughs> of every restaurant that you went to. And you're able to get totally. a couple bottles of it into your, into your bag without anyone knowing. So when you have that dinner, when you get back home, it, it can be something as little as that. But it starts to make connections between you all and the experience that you had and can really show a little forethought that can go a long way towards helping you land that thanks. 
grateful traveler. It sounds like you are already a grateful traveler on this trip and that uh, the big task will just be expressing that gratitude. This is such a wonderful experience. We hope you have a fabulous time. Let us know how the trip goes. Vacation, that wonderful American institution of going new places and doing new things. The vacation baggage is all packed and the family car is in tip-top shape, all checked and ready to go places. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Our next question is about an invite issue. Hello. Love your show. My husband and I are part of a group of families at church that socialize together with frequency, belong to a Bible study together, and our kids are in school together. We recently found out that we were not invited to one of the couple's 40th birthday party, and it feels like a slight that have both my husband and me upset. We felt like we're on the perimeter of this friend group, and this only makes us feel worse. How would I politely bring this up with either the couple in question or another couple or friend in that friend group? I'm looking for a polite way to say, hey, can we be part of the inner circle as our kids are all the same age and all play together and we all live in close proximity? Thank you, Anonymous. Anonymous, I'm so sorry that this is how you're feeling after this experience. It's, it is always tough. And I think that social media especially makes it tougher. I'm not, I'm not sure if that's where you had seen that this birthday party had happened, but I know for a lot of people that can be the experience, um, of, of having that feeling of being left out. And I don't know the parameters of the birthday party or why the guest list got set up the way that it did, but I am sorry that the result is that you guys were feeling left out of the group. Dan has a note in our show notes that says, I want to write a book about making friends as adults. And um, I can remember when we had the gals on from Big Friendship. That's the whole theme of their show and of their, their book that they had released. And friendships in adulthood really are tough. And it especially I think when you're dealing with groups that play together and in this case worship together and the the kids are all together at school, it can feel like they just should come together in certain ways and they don't always and that can leave people feeling left out and hurt. I think from my experience, I find that to be included the best way to go about it is to do the work of being inclusive as best you can and then see where the chips lie. And so make sure that you're inviting all these couples, if you want the whole group to be a part of it, to your birthday parties or, or your events. And that that's really where we have the most control is to be inclusive ourselves I can understand wanting to have conversations with people and say, we'd really like to be included. But I think that that can sometimes 
feel like pressure to other people in a way that doesn't help build relationships, but can sometimes help create distance within them. And while I never want to deny someone the opportunity to to speak their truth and to speak their mind and to speak how they're feeling, in my own personal life, I feel like going both directions, I feel like this one has a harder time playing out in a positive way. If you go up to people and say, hey, I really feel excluded from this, what's going on? And it might be that a, a very close group of friends, if you start noticing that you seem to be on the outs asking, hey, is there something I've done or or something? I, f- I feel like our dynamic has changed. And if there's something I need to apologize for, I'd like the opportunity to do that. Um, I think that's one approach, but that usually comes when the group has been tight and then you feel like you're on the outside of it as opposed to you're coming in and hoping to be included more, which is what I get more of a sense of from this particular situation. Dan, what are your thoughts in terms of addressing it directly addressing it kind of through the grapevine a little bit, which is sometimes, I know we sometimes recommend leaning into that with family stuff, you know, you you talk with the cousin to figure out what the aunt wants, you know what I mean? What, what are your thoughts on inclusivity with friendships as adults? I think you covered my two major thoughts. One, okay. that it's it's really hard to ask why you haven't been invited. It can feel like a natural question to want to ask because you want to know the answer. Yeah. And at the same time, it puts someone else in a very awkward position. They either yeah. have to tell you something that might be uncomfortable for you to hear that mm-hmm. they just didn't want you there or there was a reason something that happened or, or some social dynamic. And that's just a really tough position to put someone in. Or then they dissemble, have to come up with some reason that's not necessarily true if they are not wanting to do that. Or they've made some mistake. It's a real social omission and you're in the position of pointing that out. And in the same way, we look to the most formal situations as a guide when we have more casual examples of rudeness. I say, remember the example of the wedding that you aren't invited to. That as much as you might want to know why, you just have to say to yourself, there's so many reasons hosts make decisions. And those reasons don't necessarily have anything to do with me or me personally or their feelings about me personally, that they can be really practical decisions. The number of people that fit around a dining room table, the people that were already built into a text group when an invitation was issued from the, from the incidental and unconsidered to the purposeful and, and good reason it's, It's just not necessarily something that you want to put someone else in the position of having to explain to you. It's a great way to put it, Dan. The second scenario that I I was imagining is also something you mentioned, which is that when you're the host, you have the most control. And it's a big challenge to say, oh, you want to be invited to the big party? Well, you have to throw a big party that's big enough to include you, too. (laughs) But there are smaller versions of it. You can continue (laughs) to initiate invitations with individual couples within the group to start to build Mm -hmm. and solidify those relationships. You can do it Mm -hmm. with smaller subgroups and you could maybe set a goal of trying to get everybody together at some point and really throwing the kind of party that you would have liked to have been included in. Mm -hmm. The thought that I would offer that would make doing all that social work, both the work of 
maybe keeping quiet and not asking the question that's on the tip of your tongue and the work of challenging yourself to be a really good host, maybe even a better host than people have been to you is the reminder, which is something else I felt like you really said, well, Lizzie, that friendships develop naturally and they develop with time and allowing that to happen, allowing that process to unfold and not feel pressured or forced can be a big part of doing it successfully. And that's not always easy as adults. We oftentimes don't have as much free time. We oftentimes aren't forced into spending situations together the way kids that go to school together or share certain activities are. And it, it, it might just be that whereas a friendship that would have formed up in the first grade very quickly. And by the time you were in fifth grade together, you have years of shared social experience. It takes a little bit longer as adults where the time that you spend together is is shorter, less frequent, and, and more precious because the people involved have more complicated lives outside that particular relationship. Mm-hmm. But it will happen. It can happen. I'm so glad you reminded me of the big friendship guests <laughs> because yeah. there are examples of this happening very well. And particularly when you have strong communities where people do share a lot of interests and activities like Anonymous here, I think that naturally these friendships will develop given time and a little room to breathe. I think so too. And I also just want to let Anonymous know that I so sympathize that I have had moments and Dan has heard me have moments throughout my friendship life uh, in my adulthood where I'm like, oh gosh, this would just be so perfect. We all love football and golf and uh, East Coast vacations, you know. Like, wow, I'm I'm imagining my my perfect kind of uh, world with these folks. This would work so well for me. I feel like I finally got it. And as those friendships don't develop into Sundays with football and Thursdays with golf and vacations together down to the vineyard, you know, um, even though it seems so perfect and easy. That that just sort of reminding myself that that's my view of it and, and other people might have other goals or other things that they're thinking of and just that that can be a part of it too. And that my my reality and, and my idea of what what seems to make so much sense might not be the same as other people's or just also might not be something that materializes if the folks I'm dreaming of it with aren't there to either put in the effort or or do the inclusion or things like that. But the way I find that out is by being the person who invites and gives folks the opportunity to build those relationships. And that's something that I've, I've learned in my adult life. And I find it becomes that great litmus test for figuring out whether this is going to be that great group where everything just seems to really click, you know, and whether that lasts two years, three years, 50 years, you don't know, but by trying, that's how you find out. Anonymous, thank you so much for this question. It gives us a lot to think about and a lot to talk about. And we really wish you the best moving forward as you establish relationships with this group that work for everyone involved. Mother, why do you suppose Mary didn't invite me to her party? Are you sure you didn't get an invitation? Maybe they thought he wouldn't want to go to a party. They probably thought I wouldn't know how to act. Hey, now, your name's Cindy, not Cinderella. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. 
Get in, loser. Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Our next question is titled Tipping Troubles. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. Thank you for your amazing podcast. I was a COVID bride and cannot thank you enough for all your wise wisdom during that time. I have a question about tipping. I started seeing a new esthetician for the last three to four months. She worked in an office with two other estheticians when I started, but they have now left. And through that, I discovered that she actually owns the establishment. I always thought that you do not have to tip owners under the pretext that the price is set for the service by them presuming to calculate their time and effort. Is that true? If so, I've been tipping her and would feel awkward to suddenly stop tipping. But on the other hand, I get quite a few services during my visit, so the tip is not an insignificant amount. I love her and her work and want to do what is appropriate to acknowledge her hard work. Thanks, confused tipper. Ooh, this is a tough one. I've heard this go both ways. <laughs> Lizzie Post, I'm so intrigued that you call this a tough one because I was like, ooh, this is an easy one. I got the answer to this one. <laughs> and I-, I wanted to start off by saying that, Confused Tipper, you are totally fine. You are probably not in a situation where you've offered any offense to anyone. There is a traditional rule of etiquette that said that for services that you tip for, if you're dealing with the owner of the establishment, you don't necessarily tip them. Mm-hmm. And the thinking there wasn't so much that they could already set the price for those services to compensate themselves, more that it was about their position as the owner of the establishment, mm-hmm. that it could be viewed as commenting on the the degree of success of the business or their ability to manage it. That Oh, really? That I, they I were occupying that. a position that was not necessarily just about providing service, but was also um, was also an ownership role that they played, that you didn't want to call into question that role by acknowledging the other. Mm, in- uh, that's interesting. I had always heard it based on, I, like, I'm glad to hear another version of it. The, the ownership role part I had heard was that it was oftentimes, um, especially the owner of like a hair salon, for instance, they rent out the chairs to the other stylists who are there. So you tip the other stylist, but not the owner, because the owner is making something off of all the other stylists who work there. And so that was like the calculation I had been introduced to. But I can I can also see what you're saying. Well, that makes a lot of sense. That's a very particular example, sort of a specific example of what I'm trying to describe with that that role of the owner. That exactly there there are layers of ways that someone who owns a business might make money off that business that aren't necessarily related to just getting paid to provide that service. And we've also learned over time that there are lots of owners who who don't find themselves in that position or are like the sole person at the place. So it's not like they're making money off the other chairs or the other stylists or people who are working there. And they do accept tips. So over time, Dan had started out by saying this is like traditionally, you know, the advice was that you don't tip the owner. And over time, we've learned that different places, you know, and different services kind of set things up different ways. Dan, I I know what we've been saying for a number of years, but do you want to deliver it? 
let me give it a shot because Go for it. it's what I think of as the contemporary version of that advice, which is that if there's any question in your mind about whether or not the owner of an establishment accepts tips that you should ask or that you can ask and you can ask them directly if it's that one-on-one situation where they're providing the service and they're the obvious person to ask. You can always ask when you set up the service or you pay for it with the person at the front desk. You can say, does so-and-so accept tips? Is this a good place for me to leave the tip? And it gives them a chance to say, oh, yes, absolutely. I know he really appreciates it. Or, oh, no, really, that's not something that he's likely to accept or usually accepts. Mm In this case, you'd be asking the one person and the situation has changed. So my thought is that even though you've been tipping from the get-go, that you might just broach the subject by saying, hey, you know, I noticed that that you're the, the, the one esthetician here now at this point and clearly the owner of the business. And I had always heard about this tradition of not tipping the owner, but I was just curious, do, do you accept tips or is, are we, am I doing the right thing here, you know? And checking in that way, my guess is the person is going to say, yes, I do, because they have been accepting tips for a while from you. I'm not sure it's going it, to, it'll get you the reprieve of not having to do that tip, but it offers the, the owner the chance to give it to you if, if they wish to. And if you're really interested in continuing to tip, if you would mm-hmm. like to continue to tip and you're kind of seeking that approval or permission, you can always say that as well. I really appreciate the service so much and I like to tip. Is that something you accept? Or it makes me feel really good to offer a tip on a service like this. Is that something you would accept or could accept? Or in this case, could continue to accept. (laughs) Yeah, totally. And my guess is that because it has been accepted before, it would not have been rude for her to have said, oh, as the owner, I really don't accept tips, that there is a very good chance that you will continue to be able to tip the way you have been tipping already. Confused tipper, the most important advice about tipping is to keep the gratitude in your gratuity. As long as you're feeling genuinely appreciative when you make that offer, you're not putting anyone in too awkward a position of saying yes or no. We hope our answer helps and that you continue to get great service from your esthetician. Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach us on social media. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we are the Emily Post Institute. Just remember, use the hashtag awesomeetiquette with your post so that we know you want your question on the show. If you're enjoying Awesome Etiquette, please consider becoming a sustaining member of the podcast by visiting us over at patreon.com slash awesomeetiquette. You'll get an ads-free version of the show and access to bonus questions and content, plus live calls with Dan and myself, and you'll feel great knowing that you help to keep Awesome Etiquette on the air. To those of you who are already sustaining members, thank you so much for your support. It's time for our feedback segment where we hear from you about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. Today we have feedback from Claire on not wanting people to hold your baby. Hello, Lizzie and Dan. I'm back after literally just sending y'all an email because I have another suggestion. 
Regarding episode 416's question about not letting people hold your baby, I found a way to kind of make a statement that baby is off limits is to just baby wear, and that's baby dash W-E-A-R, at the event or gathering, if you're physically able to. I used a cloth wrap while my baby was a newborn, and as she got older, I switched to a more structured carrier that would allow me to wear the baby in the front or on my back. Highly recommend. And it also allows you to be hands-free if you need to grab food or anything. I can also sit down comfortably with the babies in the wrap as well. It also keeps other people at a distance because for them to touch or kiss your baby, they have to kind of get in your personal space too. Most people don't want to get that close. I find at events or gatherings when I'm holding my daughter without the wrap, people will still come up and touch her feet or hands or head or something. These carriers are magic, I tell you. Putting on the wrapper carrier can also be a bit of a hassle, so you can also use that as an excuse if some people are still pushy about the baby. You could say, no, the baby is super comfy right now, and this took a bit to put on. Thank you, though. On another note, if you're a nursing mom, nursing in a carrier can be really discreet and convenient when you're on the go. Good luck. That's great. I love the enthusiasm with this advice, Claire. I do too, and I love the practicality. It's it not so about works too. <laughs> how you manage the relationship or what you say, or it's just a physical trick. It's like just t- like attach the baby to you with enough <laughs> gear that it's awkward for someone to reach in and touch it or try to take it from you. It's totally true. It's totally I have to tell true. one very, very, very Please quick do. story because do I it. talk about Anisha all the time because. Anisha, she's your firstborn, and they're old enough that they're like getting into etiquette situations now. Um, <laughs> I don't talk about William much on this show, but he is the, just—I'm just in love we'll with that there. little boy. We'll get there. <laughs> His eight-month-old, like thick head of hair. He's just—it's too much. Okay. <laughs> the other day, Pooch discovered wearing him, and you sort of discover it with each of the the kids, and. Yeah. Um, we were having a dance party in the kitchen and it was all five of us. And somehow I, I, I said at the start of this, so Anisha loves her pop singers her female pop singers. Yeah. We decided to introduce her to Whitney Houston. Oh, fun. And Pooch puts on, I want to dance with somebody. And yeah. she's singing top mm-hmm. of her lungs, dancing around the kitchen. And William's in a front facing carrier on her chest and he falls asleep. Mm-hmm. And He's just so happy in that space. <laughs> and I couldn't he listen to this question, talk about how good these carriers are and not think about William sleeping while the kitchen is just in chaos around him and everyone's <laughs> belting Whitney Houston at the top of their lungs. <laughs> I love those carriers. They are so much fun. They are so much rigmarole to get into, but babies do love them and mamas and parents love them too. So thank you for the feedback. Thank you for the good tip. And thank you for giving me an excuse to tell a William story. <laughs> And thank you for sending in your thoughts and updates. Please do keep them coming. You can send your feedback or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or you can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. 
And today, the time is right. We are going to get ready for the etiquette holiday by reviewing tips for a Thanksgiving gathering. Next week, we're going to look at the reciprocal manners for guests to keep in mind. So this week, we're going to stay focused on host roles, <laughs> which I, I have to say Thanksgiving is coming. Fa I mean, it's like the whole winter is coming, but like Thanksgiving is coming. I didn't realize just how close it actually was. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> and you will realize it's even closer when we do our first tip. This is from our our most read article on the emilypost.com website about Thanksgiving. And the advice for hosts begins, extend the invitation at least a month in advance, longer <laughs> for those who might be traveling. If out-of-town guests are staying with you, set a beginning and an end for the visit. Three days is usually the standard. Be aware of guests who may have to say no this year due to travel restrictions or safety precautions. If a guest is pressuring you for an invitation you don't want to give, you might try saying, we've made our decision for this year, and while we wish we could celebrate with you, we are going to stick to celebrating with just our household or just the folks in the Northeast or whatever your answer is. <laughs> as soon as we're ready, though, we're going to be hosting a mate good on Thanksgiving or we'd love to get together with you in some other capacity, offering some other alternative, um, either for type of event or time. Just so you all know, Thanksgiving is this girl's favorite holiday. And I got the very depressing to me news this year that my parents were not going to come back to Vermont for Thanksgiving to host our Thanksgiving. This is a travesty in my world. I cried. I absolutely did cry. This is like, this is a big deal to me. My parents had to deliver this line to me, basically. I mean, it's almost word for word. Are you They'd serious? Like, Did they I'm read serious. our website? They were like, <laughs> I swear, they might have gone to our own advice. But they were literally like, Lizzie, this year we've made our decision about what we're doing. And this is how it's going to be. And next year, maybe if this doesn't work, we'll consider going back to the old. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm like crying buckets in the background. Um, but it does. The, the It did work. I will say the language, even though I've been very sad that my Thanksgiving will not be with my parents this year. It also worked like it, it helped me understand that they really made plans, that it doesn't mean necessarily that anything is, is going to change for the following year or that necessarily I'm going to get Thanksgiving next year either. But it actually did help to hear something along these lines to to um, get me through the fact that this was a decision that was made and it's not going to change. So they honored the script, and I'm guessing, because you know about it already, they honored the time frame as well, that they gave you they enough of a heads up that your cousin could invite you to come to a Thanksgiving <laughs> with a sending family. Way to put the pressure on it, cuz. Because um. you know, I, but just so everyone knows, I've already extended this invitation, and Lizzie was very and coy about not accepting. And some already beat him to it, so we'll see what's, what's, what. I might end up at both of y'all's Thanksgivings, depending on the timing. It is my favorite holiday. And yes, we um, are having stovetop. <laughs> yes. Um, I'm actually a Pepperidge Farm girl, but I still stovetop holds a very special place in my in my stuffing heart. But I just want to say this this can work. <laughs> um, moving on to our second point about Thanksgiving is that you really want to be as 
accommodating as possible to extras. So a sample script like, John and I would love to come, but our friend Tanya will be spending Thanksgiving alone. Is it possible for us to include her? This is one of those times where asking ahead and asking in a gentle way without the expectation that someone says yes is appropriate. It's a holiday that really is nice to have the more the merrier kind of feel to it. And a host can absolutely say, unfortunately, we just don't have room. Otherwise, I totally would. You can work with that. But it is okay to sort of be uh, behind the scenes figuring out if extras are okay or not. And it's all in kind of the gentleness of how you ask. If you have the room, then of course, bring Tanya. Be creative, fit in as many people as possible. It's a celebration that is really about a generous spirit. At least that's that's what we've turned it into over the years. And so I think it's something that you really want to be as inclusive as possible. Personally, I really like the idea of putting people first. So maybe it messes up how my table looks and there's someone squeezed in on a corner end, but I'd rather rather have them there personally than have the table be perfectly even or, you know, um, uh, you know, not crowded at one particular corner or something like that. Our next piece of advice is in that same spirit of flexibility in the same way that you would love to be able to say yes, if you can, as a host to any extras or any special requests, you want to include um, dietary requests among those lists of things that you would make every effort to accommodate. Oftentimes, people approach Thanksgiving as a bit of a potluck. So be prepared for it to be a coordination job as a yes. host as much as the sole chef or cook and maybe even really embrace that role you could call the kitchen coordination central or something like that. And that's going to make it much easier to accept um, all special dietary accommodations that people might have as um, a reasonable thing for you to be able to do as a host so that everyone can participate. Dan, this one I really like, and I've got to say my mother did an excellent job of this when we were kids, and that is to review the guest list with everybody in your household. So whether that's roommates or family, cluing your your immediate family or those living with you in on who will be sharing Thanksgiving with you, when they're going to be coming, what the plan of the day, the agenda for the, the afternoon or evening is, you know, when the, exactly the meal is going to be, all of those things can set a really great tone for the day. And they can kind of make it feel like the whole family that lives there is the host and not just the one person who's been doing a lot of the coordinating. Also think it's really great if we practice with the youngsters who are in our households, uh, good greetings. You know, if little Joey or if, if I walked in and Anisha was like, hi, Auntie Lizzie, I would feel so ecstatic upon that, that welcoming. But it's not just about making me feel great. It's about giving the kid the encouragement and the confidence to be a little host and to be greeting the people that come into their home and setting that up well now. This is a great time to sort of test and practice these skills with kids. That practice, even just sampling that enthusiasm for the greeting yeah. can go so far to setting up kids to get on the right foot with all your guests. Totally. Something else, Lizzie Bose, that your mother is very good at. <laughs> and now I'm as we go down this list and I think about all the 
ways that your mother is the example of a good host. I understand why you're disappointed that she won't be hosting your Thanksgiving she makes this year. It so special. <laughs> um, the next tip is to assign tasks. That as a host, oftentimes you're playing that role that Emily Post so lovingly, sort of graphically defined as Miss Three in One, where mm. you're. The butler, the cook, the server, you've got a lot of roles to play hosting a Thanksgiving and delegating some tasks to close family or guests who would like to participate in that way. Whether it's people greeting at the door, taking coats, passing hors d'oeuvres, tending bar, introducing people to each other, maybe even taking on the task of offering a, ho a, a toast or mm -hmm. helping with cleanup can all be ways to get people included, to take a few things off your own plate, and to be sure that all your guests are really well taken care of. You guys have heard me talk about it before on the show, but my mom famously for a couple years running when our Thanksgivings got really big, when it was like pushing 30 people, she would ask people not only to bring something, whether that's sodas or crudite or, you know, an actual hot side dish, but she would also say, and if you'd be willing to sign up for a task as well, that would be great. She had a whole list from filling the water glasses and lighting the candles to pouring the wine to taking out the trash to helping with the dishes to clearing the hors d'oeuvres. And so, you know, if you, if you jumped on early and were helpful early, you got one of the good tasks. <laughs> and I always loved that setup. But I also love this next tip that we have, and it's to take a tip from the airlines. Serve and seat young children and the elderly first. Anybody who uh, might need a little assistance going through that buffet or for whom it would be nice to kind of have a slower pace and be settled and then have the rush of everyone else going through the buffet or passing things, it's a good idea to plan ahead for those two groups. Our final tip for Thanksgiving is oh so appropriate. Please remember to say thank you. As a host, there is lots to be grateful for and thankful for and telling your guests and everyone who participated in planning, cooking, just attending and even cleaning up is really appropriate. So thank guests for coming. Thank them for anything special or extra that they did. And of course, be ready for that little host guest dance because there's probably going to be a few thanks flowing back your way as well. And don't worry, we have not forgotten about guests. We will be advising you to say thank you next week when we cover the guest portion of attending a Thanksgiving. I will be paying attention. <laughs> As Joan is making plans for entertaining a few of her friends at a buffet supper, she asks advice well ahead of time. She has learned that what is correct in terms of etiquette is also highly practical and logical. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. Today, we have a salute from David. Greetings, Lizzie, Dan, and team. My salute is to the wonderful staff at the Cornell Veterinary Hospital for Companion Animals in Ithaca, New York. Last Sunday, my dogs, Olive and Hank, had an unfortunate porcupine meetup oh. while we were walking in the woods. There were way too many quills for me. Plus, it's not an easy removal process, as they are similar to crochet hooks. When I finally got a signal, I called their emergency line from our rural road, and of course we were disconnected soon after. By the time I walked the 10 minutes to my driveway, they tried calling me back three times. They were so kind and set my expectations properly for a very long wait once I got there. 
despite the emotional nature of pet emergency and being the only clinic in a 90-minute radius, everyone was kind, cheerful, and very respectful. The veterinarian told me the office staff is rarely complimented as the clients are often fraught and so appreciated hearing the good work their staff performs. This is not the first time I've needed them, and though I hope to never have to go back, it's a comfort knowing they are there. So my salute is to the people I hope never to encounter again, the great folks at Cornell University Veterinary Hospital. Best, David. Oh, David, that is a wonderful salute. And I am thinking of all the times I've needed the emergency vet services. And and when you get good folks on the other end, it is awesome experience. Um, This is a great salute. Thank you so much for bringing it to us. Thank you so much, David. And thank you for listening today. And thank you to everyone who sent us something and everyone who supports us on Patreon. Please connect with us and share this show with your friends, family, and coworkers on social media and, frankly, any way that you like to share podcasts. You can send us your next question, piece of feedback, or salute by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, we are at Emily Post Inst. On Instagram, we are at Emily Post Institute. And on Facebook, we are the Emily Post Institute. Please consider becoming a sustaining member by visiting us over at patreon.com slash awesome etiquette. You can also subscribe to the ads version of our show on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. And we do hope you'll engage with our sponsors and please consider leaving us a review. It really helps our show ranking, which is going to help more people find awesome etiquette. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine and assistant produced by Bridget Dowd. Thanks, Thanks, Chris Chris and Bridget. Bridget. 